This is Undisciplined, academic by nature, undisciplined in practice. I am Dr. Karee Banton, Director of African and African American Studies and Professor of History at the University of Arkansas. Now let's get into it. Say what? time, we brought to you one of our students, Warrington Seabury, who was the graduate assistant in African and African American Studies, and he described his experiences at the university. And we are very pleased to feature another of our students in this round of our podcast to really provide some student perspective uh, on some of the programs or exciting programs that we do in African and African American Studies. One of those programs is the Study Abroad program. And this Study Abroad experience is designed for students um, to explore history, memory, the impact of slavery and the transatlantic slave trade in the amazing country of Ghana in West Africa. So, you know, when we go and study abroad, we use a number of different learning devices, but ain't nothing as comparable as traveling to give you that good education. But combined with that, you know, there's a pre-departure where you might watch some film, you know, look at some images. Um, There might be some little conversations that we have over there. You visit a number of sites and so on. And students engage, you know, the politics and the memory in Ghana, the different businesses, um, look at the, the, the slave routes, but also the routes that now take uh, members of the diaspora back to Ghana through tourism. We explore those cultural and um, political impact. We also looked at um, the slavery, the effects of slavery on Ghana's post-colonial economic development. Um, we look at um, how, you know, sites of slavery like those in Ghana factor into black consciousness, into black nationalism, pan-Africanism. And students usually, before they go, tend to explore a number of different readings. Um, Lose Your Mother by Cydia Hartman. Your you favorite. Have, yep. You've heard <laughs> me say that name too many times on this podcast. Right, so lose your mother, Sidney Hartman goes to Ghana to find herself, you know, given that African Americans and many members of the diaspora feel a sense of homelessness, right? And you go back to places like Ghana that has a number of um, spaces where the diaspora ancestors last exited the continent, you know, the door of no return, for instance. Um, they might read uh, Kevin Gaines's African Americans in Ghana, you know, the black expatriates who went to Ghana um, during the civil rights era. Um, you know, I tend to have students read the Abina and the Important Men, which is a graphic history of the experience of a Ghanaian woman during the scramble for Africa and um, that period of time. And then sometimes Randy Sparks, where the Negroes are masters, an African port in the era of the slave trade, too. But essentially, the study abroad program that is offered every other year biennially, um, it's really meant to, you know, students gain uh, up to six credit hours um, while experiencing this country through cultural immersion uh, through a three weeks period. 
and it's a faculty-led program. I've led this program. Dr. Calvin White, who is associate dean, has led this program. Dr. Gigantino, Dr. Barbara Lofton, who has been um, in the Walton Office of Diversity and Inclusion, has also been. And it's really a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity um, that brings the classroom to life to students. Right. And the last time we went, unfortunately, was in 2018 Um, because of the pandemic. We didn't get to go in 2020. We are very excited that next year in 2023 will be the next opportunity for students to study abroad. Right. So it will be very interesting to have a student who studied not only once, but twice (laughs) in Ghana give a perspective. So our majors, our minors, our graduate certificate students are certainly, and students from outside the program are certainly welcome to join and earn six credit hours within a three-week period to take in two sections of the course. So today we're talking to Miss um, Kimberly Jansen, who is the graduate assistant in African and African American Studies. Uh, she went to the University of Arkansas as a sociology, criminal justice, and African African American studies major, and went to Ghana during that period of time. And then she took, um, she did her MA in higher ed, higher education, and and now she is doing a graduate certificate and looking to expand her academic career. So we're so happy to have you on Undisciplined. Ms. Jansen, welcome. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me, Dr. Banton. So, Kim, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who are you, where you're from, and so on? Yeah, so I am a, well, I say a native of Arkansas. I've been here quite a while, um, but my original roots are from Texas. But I have essentially been in Arkansas since I was six years old. I spent a little bit of time in Tulsa, Oklahoma as a teenager. Um, But I have grown in Northwest Arkansas for the majority of my life. And so this is essentially home for me. So did you know that you wanted to go to the U of A? My mom went to the U of A. And so I think it was something that was just always kind of ingrained in me that I was going to go to college. I was going to, you know, um, break barriers that had happened um, educationally in my family, uh, given that she passed before she wasn't able to graduate. I was the first college graduate in in my family. So it was, um, I didn't always know. And I think once I got in, I was like, man, I should have went to HBCU, but. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you got to the U of A, right? And so how did you decide what did you want to major in? How did you, how, what was that process like for you? Well, I've always been interested in um, people. Um, and so I really started out in sociology and then took um, another major in criminal justice um, because I saw how African-Americans and um, black and brown people were being affected by the criminal justice system. Um, I stopped out for a little bit. And then when I came back, I, the African and African-American studies program was re, I guess revamped um, because it had, it was not previously um, listed in coursework. 
And so Mojakov actually was one of one of my mentors, and she um, essentially introduced me to the program um, and just talked very highly of the program and how there were so many um, ways that I could dive into it in a cultural manner. And so I really just, I think it was more so that I hadn't taken hardly any courses before. You know, I think that's a lot of the issue is that African and African-American experiences aren't taught in um, education as much, um, or I guess in primary education as often. And so this was just a chance for me to kind of get in into my history. And so what would you say were some of your favorite takeaways from studying African and African-American studies in undergrad? Uh, the diversity of it. It is um, the rich history. And I think I, I took a, a course in Harlem Renaissance. I took a course in whiteness. I took a course, you know, just the the diversity of the experience and learning the way that it impacted the world um, and that African American history and African history is in every aspect of American culture, mm-hmm. really. It's deeply embedded in every aspect of life, right? Globally. What was something that you kind of had some preconceptions of coming into the coursework that surprised you uh, when you got into it? So I didn't know, and I think that um, how deeply involved Africans were or the role that they played in the slave trade. And I think that it was just kind of, I mean, I think we get this overview of what slavery is in America. Oh, you know, um, slavery happened, white people stole the Africans, they brought them to America, and then it ended. And I think that is one of the service that we're doing to America, um, teaching history in that manner. So I think it, it was more so just knowing the different political reasons that and the Africans were involved in the slave trade, that African Americans had to essentially rebuild their identities, or Africans had to rebuild their identities as African Americans and take on a new concept of who they were, um, aside from who they were told to be. And um, so become moving from Africans to African-American, that transition is fascinating given that all these different ethnic groups that came from Africa, whether they were Akans or Yoruba or Ashanti or Ewe or Fon or whatever, all blending together to now make African-American or Jamaican or Barbadian, Right. Um, as they enter these um, different spaces. Um, so that's just as the same way, you know, and, and as blackness is being created, that whiteness is being created too, where all these Corsicans and Celtic people and Franks are coming together to make whiteness, um, <laughs> excluding the Irish right. and the Italians right. until they're later able to join, right, <laughs> um, in fortifying whiteness. Um, so these are all facts. You had some um, interesting coming to, uh, you know, coming to an understanding about race too, right? Yes. 
so, and it's initially why I got in the program, um, or it actually finalized my decision, I would say, um, because my mother is, I was raised by a white woman. She's white and my father is black. And so I think in my growing up, I didn't really identify as black. Mm. What did you um, identify as? I don't think that I, I only thought about it when I was being ridiculed. Oh, oh no. And so it was the hair. I mean, my mom, you know, she didn't really know how to do hair. <laughs> so um, it was the hair. It was, you know, that I was a stain on the family. It was those things. But I don't think that I identified with being in any kind of danger in any situations where I was the only black person in the South. And so I, you know, I had a, a majority white friends. I watched all the white shows. Like this was deliberate or was it just because like you were in a white household? Like were you, did you think at that time you were actively thinking that these are the people I identify with in the media on television? I don't think I was active. I think it was just ingrained. It was just ingrained because what the house that I grew up in. And I don't think I really identified more so as a, I, I knew that I was, don't get me wrong, I knew that I was black. Or you knew that you were different? But I knew that I was different. Ah, okay. Okay. And so I didn't really, I, I worked through that until I got into this program. And, and I was, oh, what, 23, 24 before that happened. So how did the program help you work through it? Like, how, like what did you learn? How did you then begin to make sense of your identity or find comfort in who you are as a person? I think it, it just helped me really tap into and break down those preconceived notions, the things that I didn't know. Um, looking into, you know, when I think about Harlem Renaissance and how how culturally rich Harlem was at that time. And I think about the fact that one of my ancestors had to survive an entire middle passage in order for me to even be here. And I think those are the things that just kind of took it full circle for me and gave me more of a passion for the work in this program. So you started to feel like instead of maybe feeling like maybe, you know, when people looked at you like, oh, you're different, you could possibly be black and carry that, you know, what people see as pathology, like the criminology of blackness, the, the, the denigration of blackness, you started to find strength and see that in yourself? Yes, and not even that different is a bad thing. It, it is okay to be different. Um, and there's empowerment in that. We'll be right back. Mic check one, two. This is Ryan Versi, KUAF's underwriting director. KUAF now produces eight podcasts with important topics ranging from mental health to cryptocurrency with more than 20,000 downloads a month. You can reach these listeners with information about your business or organization by sponsoring a podcast like Ozarks at Large, Resilient Black Women, 
undisciplined or others to learn more about sponsoring a podcast on KUAF email me at ryan at KUAF.com that's R-Y-A-N at KUAF.com Okay, so you ended up um, also as a part of the program. You ended up going to Ghana twice in the study abroad program. I did. I really did. It was amazing. Oh, my goodness. So how did you learn about the study abroad program? And how did you decide that you wanted to be a part of it? Well, I was, um, I was part of the Pioneer Group um, in 2010. And... I was in the program at this point, two years. And so what it, it was just, I think it was just through a course or a class that I was in that it was being uh, mentioned or advertised. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll try it, you know. And then I applied for the study abroad scholarship. I got it. I was like, oh, well, I'm going to go out, you know, because it was, one of the most eye-opening experiences that I have had ever. And so I think once I, I knew for sure that I was going, it was my son's first birthday. Um, he hadn't even turned one yet. But I started just kind of processing that even before, you know, we go, we had a, a two-week course or, um, no, I'm sorry, it was a week and a half class here prior to leaving for Ghana just to kind of get us, you know, prepare us for it. And I think in that period of time, like I was asking friends what, you know, I'm and even sharing with them, I'm going to Ghana. And it was this preconceived notion that they don't like it. They don't like African-Americans, you know. That Ghanaians don't like African-Americans? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Ah, okay. Why? Why did they say that Ghanaians don't like, like, what was the reason? <laughs> That they I don't even know that it was a valid reason, but just because we are American, that we don't essentially know our history. Ah, okay. So it was, yeah, okay. And so that was something that, but it, it wasn't my experience. It, that was not my experience at all. And so even like Sadia Hartman and her experience, I just, you know, how... She goes back and she's looking for this thing that she feels like she's missing, this loss of kinship. And I think in in a sense, that's kind of what, you know, it was going back to the motherland, going back to the land that created you. Um, And so in a sense, rekindling that loss was really big in both of the experiences. What trepidations did you have before going the plane ride, hey. <laughs> had you been on a plane ride before that? Had you been on... I had, but not across the ocean. Yeah, ah, <laughs> okay. So that's that's normal. <laughs> that's a long time. <laughs> yeah, I think it was an 18-hour flight. Um, but that was... I just went to sleep. You know, I think I put on the book of Eli with Denzel Washington and <laughs> just went to But I think... I don't really think that I had fears. Did you think you were going to get malaria? Did you think like, oh, my God, what if I don't like the food? What if I get sick? Oh, my God. You know, all these. Or even or even the other side of like, what if I've built it up too much in my head and it doesn't meet expectations? Did you have any of those sorts of worries? No. And I think that it exceeded because or exceeded my expectations. 
I don't think that I knew the extent of the culture. Uh, I don't think that I, I didn't have any fear, though. I was, it was more just an excitement. But I think once I got there, it was learning about the culture, the fashion, the barter system, the, um, the amount, uh, the immense taste in the food. Like everything is sweeter. Everything is fresher. And so I think that when I did get there really surprised me because I think we, you know, people think of Africa in this monolithic form of, or I mean, I don't know, uh, but just don't think of the um, Ghana as being diverse uh, or Africa being um, culturally diverse. And so I think it was just, it was more excitement. And even while I was there, I think I just wasn't afraid of it. I was home. I don't know. I remember when I first studied abroad, um, well, I, I had studied abroad previously in Austria, and that was an interesting experience for me as a student. I thought I was going to be a lawyer, I was going to go to Austria, I was going to go to Vienna, I was going to become a human rights lawyer in UN and all of this kind of stuff, and just like the language of German and, you know, trying to understand that and communicate with the, with the people and the culture. And that was, that was something. So that was 2006. And then I went to Ghana in 2011. And I remember I didn't have any trepidation at all. Like it, maybe it was what Matthew said. I built it up too much in my head. That was my issue, mm-hmm. you know, because, I mean, in Jamaica, everything is about Africa. You know, with the Rastafarians, you know, with Pan-Africanism and Garveyism, everything is about repatriation to the motherland. You know what I mean? (laughs) And I mean, I had like grow, I had grown up like, you know, even though I went to highfalutin boarding school and whatnot, I was the rebel that was like, yeah, I'm with the Rastas. (laughs) Yeah, whatever the Rastas is on, I'm on that, (laughs) you know? And so it because they were like as you're at your bougie boarding school <laughs> as I'm at my bougie boarding school it's like yes we're bringing in uh, we're bringing in <laughs> bringing in an expert to teach you proper <laughs> etiquette <laughs> I'm like what are the rest is doing <laughs> you know but I remember just thinking that I have to mark the occasion I had built it up so much in my head like oh my god like the oceans are going to rise to meet me. Like, Mm. it's going to be this great, glorious thing. And the ground is going to feel, like, so great when I touch down the first time and my foot touch the soil, you Mm. know? And I was telling my family, who had all gathered around, it's like, I think I'm going to eat some dirt when I get there the first time. (laughs) Like, I'm just going to bend down, pick up some dirt and (laughs) eat it. Or eat a piece of grass. Just to mark, you know, the the solemnity of the occasion, right? So I had built it up in my head so much because, you know, I got a scholarship and the scholarship didn't expect me to go to Africa. Mm. Just to show you how these things work, right? They're expecting me to go to Cambridge and Oxford. Mm. And I'm like, ah, I'm going to Ghana. Right. <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. And so, <laughs> so I had, like, that's, that's how much I'm like, this is where I wanted to be. Yeah. And so I had built it up pretty big in my head. Uh, so, yes, I was excited, too, like you, Kim. How was the grass? 
Um, I didn't eat the grass once I got there. <laughs> because my family made me sure not to do it. No, that's fair. Yeah, because I, I, I was a little bit sick before I left. So they're like, yes, yeah, go over there and fall out. <laughs> Eating grass and dirt with your foolish self, you know. So I didn't, I didn't do that. But I, was, I just remember when I saw Aquaba, which means welcome. And, I mean, you grew up reading about Kwame Nkrumah and grew up reading about Ghana and, you know, the motherland, right? So you just felt like I maybe it was in my head, but maybe it's also a part of the tourism um, apparatus of the country that I just felt like this being enveloped. You know? Some top-notch propaganda there. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, Ghana fancy themselves as being, as being the gateway to Africa. Sure. You know what I mean? I'm like, and Nigerians say, yes, they pass through and come over to us. <laughs> yeah, Nigeria is African giant, but Ghana is a gateway. But yeah, so I had built it up in my head too. So us like Sidia Hartman, she talks about being... I imagine, and that's maybe the difference between being a Jamaican and being an African-American, right? Uh, apart from nationality, it's the sense that City of Hartman and maybe like him uh, probably felt a sense of hopelessness and being a stranger in America, in a country that, you know, didn't give you citizenship, <laughs> you know, didn't get uh, um, voting rights. African-Americans didn't get their voting rights until the Voting Rights Act in the 60s and so on. So to be a stranger, to be lost, what does that mean, right? And she says in, in Lose Your Mother, a journey across, along the Atlantic slave route, she says, to remember what they had lost and what they became and what they had been torn apart and what had come together, the fugitives and refugees and multitudes in flight were called the Sisala, which means to come together, to, to become together, to weave together. And she said, if I had hoped to skirt the sense of being a stranger, in a world by coming to Ghana, then disappointment awaited me. So she was not, not being enveloped. She said disappointment awaited me. And I had suspected as much before I arrived. Being a stranger concerns not only matters of familiarity, belonging, and exclusion, but as well involves a particular relation to the past. If the past is a country, is another country, then I am its citizen. I am the relic of an experience most preferred not to remember. As if the sheer will to forget could settle or decide the matter of history. I am a reminder that 12 million cross the Atlantic Ocean and the past is not yet over. I am the progeny of the captives. I am the vestige of the dead. And history is how the secular world attends to the dead. That's pretty... I mean, come on. You you have to ad- admit that you're becoming a City Hartman fan. <laughs> I, look, I never said I wasn't. You th- Admit it. Admit it on air, Matthew. Come on. <laughs> she says, the domain of the stranger is always an elusive elsewhere. That maybe over there is where home is. Right. Because it's certainly not here. The country, I'm brutalized, I'm criminalized, I'm excluded, I'm, my voting rights are taken. So... You know, if you're a stranger, you're always going to, home is elusive for you. Yeah. So you get to Ghana now, Kim. You're in Ghana. You step off the plane. You, you get into 
the airport in Accra. And what's like one of the first memorable things that you, you do once you get over there in Ghana? The very first steps, well, I remember it being hot, um, <laughs> but the very first steps outside of the airport, you know, and, and our professors kind of prepared us. They were like, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to come up to you. They know your tours. They're going to um, try to barter with you. They just see the Americans on y'all face. Boy, y'all just, right, yeah, right. I just be telling when I. There's a sucker. There's yeah, a sucker. When I bring home Americans to Jamaica and try to finesse the government and yeah. be like, shh, don't talk. <laughs> just please, I beg. <laughs> no, no talking. It's like, yeah, walk, what? No. No, 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 no talking from you. And even so, you, people can read your Americanness. Like, yeah, you have a Celtics hat on. No Jamaicans wearing that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think, but one of the, and it was a man, he wasn't much um, older than me, but he rushed up to me and he was like, welcome home. And just had this big smile on his face. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, is he, is he, gonna barter with me you know because this is what I've been told (laughs) but he walked me like he walked with me and was like hey this is the place that you came from this is your home this you're welcome here anytime and that was my very first experience on Ghanaian soil how you know that guy wasn't trying to holler at you Kim he could have been but (laughs) you didn't pick up that vibes I didn't pick up that vibe (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, and maybe you know maybe he was trying to barter but maybe I didn't pick up that vibe either I don't know it was but it was very it was a really welcoming and warm experience Um, and I think that just always in the entire time though um, in, in both times and so I think that just always stuck with me as and it wasn't just that experience. It was, it, it's the people, you know, and a plethora of black people everywhere. It just, it was amazing. One of the big things that students go on the trip to learn is about the slave route, the slave trade route. And you have numerous opportunities to do so at various sites. So you guys go up to the north where you visit the slave markets deep into the north and, and usually... This is a 15-hour bus ride, Matthew, mm. from Accra up to the north um, to slave markets like Salaga. And the whole time, have you seen the Ice Cube movie, Are We There Yet? Mm-hmm. This is the U of A students. <laughs> <laughs> this is the U of A students. Like, are you like, guys, this is a scenic route we're taking. <laughs> scenic route. <laughs> the scenic route. And they're like, no, we want to get there. like... You are in air-conditioned bus. The enslaved people, you know, in Salaga, they were sold and they had to march through the jungle where wild animals attacked them. And they had to walk that journey all the way down to Cape Coast Castle and to or to uh, Elmina Castle. So what was uh, sites like Salaga like for you, Kim? Emotional. I think it was, it made it real. It solidified, like you, you hear the stories and you think of the brutality. And, and But it was a moment that I was essentially reconnecting with that part of my past. So it was really emotional to see 
you know, this, and they still have the, the slave market in Salaga or the slave uh, post where they sold the slaves in Salaga. They still have the coffles that they were chained in, the spears that um, were held to, you know, to keep them in place. And so it really was an emotional journey. And I think that it really, it brought to light not only how uh, um, the village, like the reconciliation that went into or that goes into the slave trade, this part of the slave trade journey and reconciling um, African-Americans to their past. It was emotional though. Yeah. And then you guys went to other sites like Asinmansu, the slave river. Yeah. That's where the slaves were given like one of their last baths before they went over to Elmina and Cape Coast. And then the slave castles, how was that for you? Because that's a really big one for people. I think the first time that I went, I was I was in that curious mode. I wanted to know. I wanted to experience everything. Did they turn off did they turn off the light and lock well turn off the light and lock you guys in the dungeon? That was one of the the differences between my first trip and my second trip. There was And essentially, it's a, a holding cell that's a punishment, you know, but you don't, you go in, but you don't necessarily come out alive. And so if a slave went into this holding cell, they knew that they were going to die. And so the first trip, um, you know, the entire class was asked to get in just to, kind of, just to be able to experience that. And the second trip, I, I couldn't enter. I couldn't, you know, I'm, and because it was in Almena, it was in Cape Coast Castle. So it's in, and I imagine that it was probably a staple in, in all the castles. And you could still smell the stench of death. How about the door of no return? How did that register for you? People, you know, that features a lot in the history for African-Americans. Yeah, um, because in the mail, so in the mail slave dungeon, which is, essentially blocked off now, but there was a canal that, you know, the exportation of the male slaves left and met up at the same exact place where the female dungeon was and the female slaves left. And so as they're walking out of this door, they may be kin, it may be someone from their tribe, it may be, but they'll never... There's a no, they may never see each other again. And so I think that was um, one of the most pivotal moments because when they explained that this is the meeting place that is right before you're being removed from your homeland, from your family, from your kinship, from your everything, you know, and, and this is the door to a new identity. You're 
listening to a podcast produced by KUAF, your public radio station for more than three decades. Hello, I'm Timothy Dennis. KUAF's on-air programming features the latest news from NPR, with shows like All Things Considered, 1A, and Here and Now, locally hosted music programs on the weekend that you won't find online, local newscasts every weekday morning at 5.30 and 7.30, updates on events happening throughout the KUAF listening area, and more. To listen, tune your radio to 91.3 FM, visit our website, KUAF.com, or tell your smart speaker to play KUAF. Now that you've gone on two of these experiences, uh, Kim, and you, you came back to the United States, what did it put in perspective for you as a concluding question there? I struggled a little bit with my faith because of the perversion of I won't say I, I don't think I, I struggled with the perversion of Christianity that held slavery in place. Not necessarily my faith, but with the um, the way that Europeans twisted the Bible and Christianity in order to create wealth and create a system um, of capitalism across the world. I think that was probably the most, the most profound with the church being on top of the slave dungeons. And then the priest is like, hey, something's not really right here. And he's writing to the crown and he's telling people like, this isn't really God, you know, and the crown's like, don't worry about that, you know. And so I think that was, that was, that was a big piece for me. And I think the connections that I made with, you know, I still have some people on Facebook that I I talk to every once in a while um, that I connected with over there. And they're like, when are you coming back? I'm like, you know, just don't know. (laughs) But just the fact that people are people. And I think that was one of the biggest takeaways is that no matter, you know, um, where we are, who we are, people are people and everyone deserves love. We want to encourage our students to, you know, sign up for this 2023 study abroad program to Ghana to inquire about scholarships to, you know, register as African and African American studies major or minor and to, you know, add this experience to their portfolio. So we we look to welcome a lot of you. And I'd like to thank you, Kim, for, you know, sharing your experiences with us. It is indeed valuable. Students like to hear from other students um, about their experiences. And so I thank you for coming to Undisciplined. Thank you for having me. Undisciplined is hosted by Dr. Karee Banton and produced by me, Matthew Moore. Our show's associate producer is Rachel Bernstein. Thanks so much for listening. And if you haven't had a chance yet, make sure to follow or subscribe on your podcast app.